Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I have a real treat for you today. And, and you guys know me. I say, well, I have a good friend. I have a real treat. And it is. It's, it's a joy to do these podcasts and to introduce really neat, wonderful, great people to you. And, and this, is, this is the same thing this morning. I have with me sales leader, author, and the host of the Sales and Surf podcast. Scott Lease joins me this morning here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I, I stopped short, Scott. I should have said LinkedIn rock star. I should have said, you know, uh, guru. Man, how are you this morning? I'm doing really well. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I've got I've got my hands in a lot of different uh, cookie jars, so it's. It's complicated to introduce me. You did, you did just fine. <laughs> well, I, I try, man. I try. So, um, hey, Scott, I, 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 we'll get into the, the main background of your story here in a little bit, but I want to start here this morning. And again, we are in the midst of some really unusual times. I've been in sales and sales management, customer engagement about 25 years, and it's, it's a really different time that we're living in right now. What is your number one message to people that you talk to that are coming to you saying, Scott, man, what do I do? What, how do I get through this? What's the number one message you're relating to people right now? Yeah. The number one message for, that I relate to people, honestly, is we always have another gear. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I've, I've lived through that many times before as, as a lot of people probably have, but you know, all the times you think that you're too tired to go on or in too much pain or hurting, you know, um, it's amazing how resilient the human spirit is. And, you know, you just, you just keep on, keep on moving. To use a surf term, you just keep paddling. And mm -hmm. before you know it, like, shoot, where did this other gear come from? And I, and I, yeah. and I made it through the thing. And so that, that's what I've been telling people is, you know, you always have another gear. Even when you think you're about to be done, we have we have reserves somewhere inside of us that uh, you know when when needed we can call upon. <clears throat> so, do you find it that, that people have some time? That, do they have a difficult time understanding that concept? Because here's the thing: I I understand it from an athletic standpoint, uh, with a track star, with a guy that that you know will kick it in gear if he's running a a, a hundred yard dash or something like that, or a guy, a football player that, you know, it's late in the game and, and they're tired and they're hurting, but there's a big play that has to be made. I know you're a soccer guy, so that's, you know, again, when you get to that 87, 88th minute of a match and, and you've just given it everything, that you've got to reach back for something extra. Do you find some people have a hard time understanding that concept? I think they do at the surface <clears throat> because they, they might struggle to, to see how it pertains and relates to them. And so, you know, I, I'm an athlete like you, or at least was an athlete. Um, so that analogy works for me. Yeah. But it mine's a was, man. 
Yeah. I, I, that was a long time ago for me. It was as well. But, you know, um, I can relate it to, uh, to health. You know, um, yeah. I spent the better part of four years in the hospital when I was 23 to 27 years old fighting for my life. Yeah. And, uh, I've had nine surgeries, four major abdominal surgeries, removal of my large intestine, two life-saving surgeries, was addicted to opioids through all that process, had to kick off of all that. So like, I, you know how many times I thought I wasn't going to make it till tomorrow or how many times I, I wanted to, to give up and didn't think that I'd, you know, make it to the next day or whatnot, but like I'd somehow always found another gear. And I think if you spend the time and and really try to talk with people and truly help them. We've all been through those things before. You know what I mean? It could be a yeah. It could be somebody who's been through, you know, breakups or divorce. It could be medical issues. It could be athletic achievements. It could be, you know, man, I'm I'm so tired and I'm so far behind on my studies and school. Shit, I you know, I found another gear. I actually finished that paper. I actually got past that that particular exam in school. So I think I think this is where like personalization of the message, you know, matters, right? Mm -hmm. We all have another gear, and if I know Brian enough to know his story a little bit, then I can change it maybe from an athletic story to a medical story. If I know yeah. Scott well enough, I change it from a medical story to an academic story. Um, we just all have been through so many things that are are really difficult you know, in our lives. And, and a lot of people tell me, I have no idea how you've been through that. Well, I have conversations with people all the time and I'm like, I have no idea how you went through that. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's got something that they've overcome okay. in, in life. Right. And, and Scott, here's the thing. I think a lot of salespeople, especially that have had a high level of success or anybody that's had a high level of success when adversity hits and it will hit, they don't know how to recall those things or pick themselves back up and, and dust themselves off and move on. So let me ask you this. What do you see changing as far as sales goes? Because I hear people say, well, the way we do business is going to change. I agree to that to some level. But what do you see changing as far as the selling process and I use that in air quotes, or how salespeople conduct themselves going forward post-pandemic? Well, number one, I think our, our resiliency and resolve is going to continue to be tested more and more. So people, I think all of this pandemic, and I mean, it's hard to even remember, but we started the beginning of the year with all sorts of fires in Australia and global warming stuff coming out. Now we've got these social injustice issues going on. Yeah, good point. Uh, our, our resolve has never been more important. And I think, unfortunately, what's happening is this current situation in 2020 is weeding out mediocrity from the sales, uh, the sales community. You know, if, if, if you don't have that ability to call upon some some inner strength or some higher power or, or experiences that you've been through before you're in big trouble right now, yeah. you know? Um, so I think optimizing in, in, in ourselves for, for resiliency and just not giving up and mental toughness and self-confidence and things like that. I don't, I don't think that's, 
about to hit an all-time an all-time high. Um, I certainly think the way we go about selling is evolving every single day. I mean, yeah. when I when I started selling, you know, in 2004, 16 years ago or so, um, <clears throat> all there was was the was the phone, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I was just blasting out 100 to 150 calls a day, and then all of a sudden got email involved. Well, well, right now, you know, depending on what market you're in and who you sell to, the telephone might not be the right way to go to start yeah. a conversation. Yeah, email might be a waste of time. You might need to spend all your time on LinkedIn building relationship and whatnot. So I, I think we're, we're, we're evolving to a point where the channel doesn't, the channel matters based on what you're selling to. And the, yeah. the number of dials you make doesn't matter if that, if the phone doesn't work, the number of emails you send doesn't matter if emails don't elicit response. So that that's changing a great deal. Um, the use of technology and tools to aid your selling yeah, never been more important. Um, if I was, you know, graduating college this, uh, this summer and going out into the marketplace to look for a place to work, I absolutely refuse to go work someplace that doesn't have a good sales tech stack. I'm not going to go work someplace that doesn't have a good CRM, that doesn't have a good sales enablement platform, that doesn't have, you know, a coaching platform, all these kind of tools. So like Gong and Sales Loft and Salesforce and, and tools of this nature. I, the way I look at it is like, let's say you're a, you're a high school football player, like you're, you're being recruited, right? Yep. And you can go to UT where I am here in Austin, Texas, and all the facilities that they have, right? State-of-the-art, world-class facilities, or you can go down the road to some podunk university and play you go to marshall where i went to school marshall's a marshall is a, a conference usa school okay well that they're a step above maybe what i what i'm what i'm thinking of but you could if you go someplace that doesn't you know have good weight room or good coaches yeah. and good medical training facility staff and stuff like that like why would you go there so if, if i'm looking at two different companies to go work at why would i go to a place that hasn't invested in technology and i i had this interesting call the other day with um, a number of sales leaders from, from New Zealand and Australia, and they don't utilize technology over there yet. They're about 15 years behind where we are here in America. And my mind was like blown. So I, I, I think that, that the use of technology and some of these tools has become more and more important to the point where not having that will be a, a recruiting, it'd be a detriment to your recruiting efforts. Well, and and let me let me piggyback off of what you said there a minute ago, and I love the analogy because it's true that if you're a five-star athlete, if you're a five-star football player, it's very rare, it's extremely rare that you're going to go to a school like Marshall because facilities-wise, we have 35,000-seat stadium. Now, we've got a great facilities building. We've turned out some pros. But if you compare us to UT, there is no comparison. And if you compare UT to Clemson or you compare UT to where it's really rare. But I would say this. I would say that the times that it does happen, that that kid picks that school because of somebody that recruited them. The coach that recruited them, they've developed such a powerful relationship with that kid 
that they've absolutely convinced them that they can take the same trajectory to the NFL through Marshall that they can through UT. I love what you said there, though, about having all the tools in place. Because, Scott, I came to I came to uh, the world of inside sales late. I started I started my career backwards. I started in the field selling, and then 15 years later came into a position where it was more inside base. I was calling and, and things like that. I remember a conversation that I had with my leader, and they said, well, your dials are down. And I said, yeah, but my appointments are up. When I get on the phone, I make appointments. And, and if correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys pay me to close sales from appointments, not from phone calls. And so I love what you said there about making sure that you have the tools in place and the process in place. Do you think when you see a lot of younger salespeople come into the business, do they fall more in love with the tools or the process? I think they unfortunately fall more in love with the tools. And I think that the tools will absolve them of having to have a solid, effective process. Unfortunately, yeah. I think I think that's becoming a bit more of a risk, which uh, to me goes more towards what you said before with like the coach being like such a good recruiter. It's, this falls more on the sales leader. The sales leader's job is to have this process in place, this foundation, this playbook. Yeah. So when a new person comes in, they're given the skill set and and the and the process. To run every single day and then it's amplified in its effectiveness by the use of the technology and the tools if you bring in some kid off the off the street and give them all these tools but there's no process you're just gonna fumble around with the with this fancy technology cool i'm sending yeah. vid, i'm sending vidyards all over the place but well it's like giving a quarterback a playbook and just telling him to go out there and run the offense right <laughs> right right but no no strategy no structure yeah no, no education on sort of playing to our strengths or, or, or and avoiding our weaknesses and whatnot. It, it doesn't make sense, you know. So it, it's all about the foundation. And you know, for me, this is where I've spent my whole career. You mm -hmm. know, I, I've I've been a, a head of sales six times as a as a full time operator, and every single time it was with companies that had basically zero customers. And so I go in and I and I build this playbook and this foundation. <clears throat> And then I grow it and scale it. And I've, mm -hmm. I've taken five of those six companies to 20 million ARR or so, all of them in, in between two to three years. That's what I love to do. I like, I'm, a, I'm a builder. You yeah. know what I mean? I, I like to put the foundation in place, grow it to a particular point. And then for me, you know, I start to lose a little bit of interest when there's 500 employees and, and yeah. red tape shows up and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I leave and go build it again. And that's what I've been doing in my in my consulting practice now is rather than helping one company scale, now I'm able to help, you know, almost a dozen. I think I have yeah. nine, nine clients right now and I have one fractional CRO role that I work. So I got, I got yeah. 10 clients that I'm, that I'm helping scale and, and teaching and preaching this, this foundational approach. So, so you go about selling in, in a scalable way. You know, I love what you, and, and I'm the same way. I've built territories and things like that. I like taking something and putting my hands to it and saying, okay, I'm going to go find the customers either that we're not selling or we're not serving 
or somebody else is underserving. Like I, I love for me, I loved going and taking a customer away from my competition by, by them being underserved because my thought was I want my competition to wake up every morning and wonder what I'm doing today. I want them to wake up and wonder where's Brian at today? What one of my customers is he going to go recruit away from us because he can do it better than we can. And I love what you said about building. And I think Scott, that a lot of people building's hard, building a territory's hard, building a company's hard, building anything is hard for you in those hard times. What did you do internally to push through those things? and say, you know what, yeah, I know it's hard, but it's got to be done. Because you talked about the extra gear earlier. What did you do to, to tap into that when the building got hard? Well, I mean, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I've learned through my life and experiences and struggles, is it's all about perspective, right? So on some level, if I'm struggling to, to build my team out or we're having a rough a rough month or a rough quarter or whatever, or I'm, I can't find the right recruits, whatever. Um, even if I'm worried about losing my job, I pause for a minute and think, I can care if I lose my job because life will, life will go on. I've been through harder things before. So I fall back on the fact that I've probably already been through the hardest thing that I'll ever go through in my life. Mm -hmm. And I've come out the other side. So what is there left for me to be afraid of? What is there left for me to worry about and stress about? That's not going to help me, you know, at all. So having that perspective that to fall back and remember, man, I've been through things way harder than scaling a sales org and scaling a startup before. Yeah. Um, that has, that has helped me a great deal. The, the other thing that I, that I've done is, you know, I have managed to build and create a very, very large network. Uh, and I put a lot of time and energy into trying to, add value to my network. So yeah. when the time comes for me to get my hands dirty and build some of these companies out, I pull in people that I know and trust. So I, I, I'm never hiring blindly strangers. I'm pulling in at least a couple people that I feel like, man, I could go to war with these people. Like I know them, I trust yeah. them, I know their abilities. They know me and my philosophy. Like, I could, I could leave the office and I know that they'll execute, you know, my playbook, uh, you know, the, the right way. Right? Yeah. So I, I, I lean on the talent of the folks that I've brought in and surrounded myself with. And I know my areas of weakness mm -hmm. and I'm unafraid to, you know, sort of say, well, I don't know shit about this, Brian. Like you're the guy on, on, on this, off yeah. you go. Right. Yeah. And so I bring in people to compliment me in the areas that I'm weak and I'm, and I'm deficient. Um, so those two things, just the perspective and falling back on the fact that this is really not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, right? If I'm, mm -hmm. if I'm healthy, I'm here, so be it. I got nothing to be afraid of. And then the, the, the team that I, that I pull in around me, yeah, I, I, I lean on, I lean on them. Cause I think everybody, Scott, I think everybody knows those two or three people and maybe more. I can think of two or three people off the top of my head. If they would call me tomorrow and say, hey, I'm doing this. Would you consider leaving what you're doing now to come with me? Yeah, absolutely. 
I'd consider it because I know who they are. I know what they're about. I know what we would get done. And, and I'm confident in them that, that together we could go get it done. I noticed behind you there's a quote, and I was trying to read it as you were talking, and, and I could only make out the, 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 the last little bit of it. So for those of you watching on video, for those of you that are listening audio, Caleb Lease is your son? Correct. Yeah. He is, and so uh, he's got a, you've put up a quote in your office behind you. Would you tell me about that quote? Cause I, what I can see of it, I really like, and I, I think it goes well with what we've been talking about the last yeah. couple of minutes. It, it, it absolutely does. And um, it's up because I'm, I'm extremely proud of, of the quote. My, my younger son, Caleb is, he's 10 years old uh, now. Um, but he said this at five years old and it, it said, it says, uh, you don't get good at anything by giving up except giving up. Yep. And he said that at five and quite frankly, I don't really remember the context anymore of what, what we were talking about or what the discussion was, but he said it and I was like, whoa. Right. And, and, uh, so I think my, that's my wife's handwriting there. So she, she wrote it down. And when this whole, you know, pandemic and everything came about, I, I was spending more time in my home office. I found that, <clears throat> that piece of paper there lying around on, on the desk and I pinned it up, you know, um, and it, it means, it means a great deal to me. I think it means a I think everybody can understand that particular quote and it means a great deal to me because that's my son who said that. And he said that when he was five. Yeah. Right? So I like, I'm, I hope at least I can take some credit for kind of instilling that kind of mindset in him, you know, from a very young age and, and hopefully it, it serves him moving forward. And his quote is serving me every single day. It's hard for people to give up things in, in pursuit of something else. Because, and that's so true, you, you have to give up something in life to get what you want, but, but you can't give up on what you've laid down to go get. You know, if I want to, when I was going to start this podcast, if I had said, well, there's not 100,000 people listening to this thing, so I'll give up after five episodes, that's not the intention, it's Hey, you know what? If it helps one person, it's all good. I love that quote, man. That's so profound. And especially in his five-year-old mind, yeah. understanding that I can't give up until I give up my fears, I give up my insecurities, I give up my stuff that you and I, Scott, as, as adults, we already know this. We've, we've lived it, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And here, your, your five-year-old kid, it comes to him early in yeah. life. Why do you think that it came to him early, but it it doesn't cut that same concept is lost on people much older than he? Well, again, perhaps perspective, you know, I mean, I, we've long had candid conversations with my, both my boys about <clears throat> my struggles with my health physically and, and, uh, you know, the mental challenge of, of going through all that kind of stuff. And, and so, um, you know, my wife and I have talked about giving up, you know, and, and why you have to kind of 
keep pushing through particular things. And, and, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe other people have not had that influence in their life and, and not had, you know, that, uh, that perspective kind of, kind of given to them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we have, we have, even as adults, like we, we have these ideas and these constructs of, of who we are. So mm -hmm. how many times have you he heard somebody say, well, that's just kind of who I am, right? It's like mm -hmm. somebody's disorganized and they're like, ah, you know, that's just who I am. Somebody's late all the time and they're like, oh, that's Brian. Like, that's just like who he is. And so, you know, I would, I get these, I I've hired and, and managed thousands of salespeople at this point in time in, in my career. I can't even tell you how many times somebody would say, well, you know, that's just how I am, Scott, right? I'm like, yeah. no, that's bullshit. Yeah. That's who you've been. That's not who you are. That's who you've been. And we or can that's what you've gotten away with, and it just is comfortable doing that, so you don't see any need to change, right? Right. And, and, and the, the feedback that I give them is we can, uh, we can make a decision to be different right now, today, yeah. moving forward. You know, if we, if we really want to, I, I was, I was hooked up in, uh, in the hospital for four years to liquid morphine and Oxycontin and Dilaudid and, and every painkiller you can think of. And when I was done with all my surgeries, um, and it was, you know, kind of time for me to get released from the hospital finally and everything, I was full blown addicted to pain medicine. And I wanted to, I wanted to be done. Like I didn't want to take another pill period. Yeah. And the doctors were like, you know, th that's a really bad idea. Like you could have a lot of medical complications from, from stopping. Like we want to put you on a program and like wean you off. And I'm like, no, I told him, no, I said, this may be who I've been for the last few years, but this is not who I am. And, you know, I know a lot about what's coming. I'm going to go through two or three weeks of hell. What's two or three weeks of hell when I've already been through four years of hell. Yeah. So I cold, I cold turkeyed off everything, right? My grandfather and my grandmother used to tell this story to me. Well, my grandfather used to, used to smoke cigarettes, right? He was, in the, he was in the war and, you know, in the Navy and, and, and whatnot. He smoked cigarettes for, I don't even know how many years, a long time. And then one day, my grandmother went up to my grandfather and said, you know what? I'm really tired of you smoking cigarettes. Everything stinks you got to stop smoking cigarettes or I'm going to leave you. Mm. And he cold turkey quit. He'd been smoking for decades. Cold turkey quit, never had another cigarette again, right? When, yeah. when, when your why and your reason for doing something different or evolving is powerful enough, it's not that hard to let go of these constructs of, of, of who we've been previously. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I love what you said there, man, and I'm going to pivot to the, to that part of your story. And, and it resonates with me because, Scott, I live one hour south of here from one of the largest opioid dumps in United States history. One hour from me, West Virginia, where I live, we have gotten such a stigma yeah. of opioid use and opioid abuse and things like that. You know, one hour away from me, man, there were over a million pills in a four-year time span dumped into this one little town. One hour away from me. And so that's why what you're saying to me resonates because I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. 
I can take you to the methadone clinic 20 minutes from my house here that's packed every day of people walking in to get some Suboxone or whatever to get them, try to, to try to get them clean. Scott, man, four, four years ago, we had 25, 26 overdoses in one night in this area. 25 people were Narcan back, one died. But our, but our EMS system was so taxed that it was just, I've seen it firsthand. When, when did you first realize, how old were you when you first realized that you had something seriously wrong with you? Do you remember kind of that moment like, man, I'm, I'm not right? Yeah, I, I, I was fine growing up. You know, I, I, was, <clears throat> I played four sports, you know, through high school. Played two sports in college, soccer and tennis. Had, had a you know full ride. Um, played some soccer in Ireland. Played some sort of semi-pro soccer in Arizona and San Francisco. I mean, I was an athlete. I'm 6'2". Yeah. 6'2", I weighed 190, 195. Like, that's pretty big and strong for, um, you know, the soccer field. Go to grad school. I finished my, my first year, you know, of grad school, and I, I hit my 23rd birthday. And right up. I went home to Northern California where I'm from and right on my 23rd birthday, I started having GI problems and it was, it was like somebody flipped a switch, man. There was no like slow decline or anything like that. In six weeks, I went from 195 or so to 140. I lost 50 something pounds, right? Were um, your doctors able to tell you why it just hit you all of a sudden like that? Because no. it sounds like, it sounds like, in, and I, I know that that industry a little bit, having called on GI offices. Did you have Crohn's? If you don't mind me asking, was it Crohn's oh, that got you? It, it, it was uh, ulcerative colitis, which is, you know, yeah, yeah. Step, step brother of, uh, of Crohn's and whatnot. Oh, the, the horrible, I mean, the wicked stepbrother, like the dude that just that yeah. just gets you on the ground and pounds you like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, not to, not a competition, but Crohn's is, is more long-term kind of struggle, but less acute. And ulcerative colitis is very acute. Um, so no, they, they don't know, you know, it's an autoimmune disease. <clears throat> um, this is a long time ago now, but this is way before data and research about, you know, gluten-free diets and dairy-free diets and this kind of thing. I mean, I grew up in Chico, California, the home of Sierra Nevada beer micro brew and, and the know, home of Aaron Rodgers. I went to high, high school, the same high school as Aaron Rodgers. Pleasant Valley. Yeah. High school yeah. Well, I mean, Aaron's kind of put, I mean, no, you know, not that you haven't put Chico on the map, my man, but, uh, <laughs> no comparison. I think Aaron's done a little better than me. Yeah. Uh, he's a hall of fame quarterback for sure, man. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't, you know, he didn't know any better. Right. So it's possible that I was eating and, and drinking things that I was allergic to my, my whole life. Um, I certainly was under a ton of stress. They think stress sometimes bring those things on. I mean, I was, I was teaching full undergraduate course load at Arizona state while going through my regular master's degree program and, you know, getting a lot of exercise and whatnot. And what were you teaching in undergrad? Basic computer literacy. If you can believe that it's like, the so you, so now college. you're a sales guy, you're a full on sales guy. It, this oh. is the beautiful thing about sales. It doesn't matter where you start in your life. It, it's 
it's where you end up, man. You were teaching computers and now you're, you're running a sales company. Like, I mean, in, in, in I've never, I never had like a retail job or a restaurant job. I mean, I had no experience before I got into inside sales whatsoever. I'd never had a job until I was 27 that didn't involve getting paid to play or coach sports, period. Yeah. If you can believe that. I studied psychology in, uh, in school. So I have a, a, a BA in psychology and I minored in religious studies. And my master's degree is in learning and instructional technology. Nothing to do with business. No economics, no Zero sales. to do with business, man. Zero. Zero. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when you, ha when you had that moment, Scott, I want to, I mean, to jump in there, but when, when, when now you're flat on your back and you're trying to figure out what's wrong with you, take me through that thought process. Were you scared? Were you nervous? Were you, what was going through your mind when you dropped 45 pounds in, in less than two months? Well, all of the above that you're talking about, the, <clears throat> the first thing that's, that's going through my mind is what, what is actually wrong with me, you know? And it took the doctors quite a while, a couple months to, to figure out, you know, a, a, a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's I have so many horrible stories. Like <laughs> I, I had been dating a girl for a couple of years. My second day in the hospital, she came into the hospital and broke up with me. Literally, while I'm in the hospital bed, she just said, this is too heavy. Um, you know, I couldn't, couldn't finish my master's program. This was the end of my athletic career for sure. All the thoughts go through your head, like, am I going to survive? You know, am I ever going to get married one day? Am I ever going to have kids? I'm never going to have a, you know, a career. Um, I think about all the things you're missing out on. And, but then the pain takes over, and you, you stop thinking about all of that stuff, and, and you're just suffering. You know, and it's like, how do I, you don't, you don't think about how am I going to get through the next month or how am I going to, how am I going to get better? I'm, I'm literally thinking, how am I going to get through the next 15 fucking minutes before I get another, you know, pain push to, to alleviate some of this? How am I going to get through the night, um, you know, dealing with the agony that I'm in right now and experimenting with all these medicines, everybody's throwing all this stuff at me, trying to find something that works to calm everything down, you know, um, you know, it's not like I just instantaneously was like, Oh, I gotta be a fighter. You know, I, I gotta have more resolve than anyone ever in history. It wasn't, I, I don't think like that. Right. One of the things that I think actually helped me was I don't, I may have a big, huge goal, but I'm a huge proponent of like micro goals, very, very small attainable goals. So I don't think, well, okay, I got to get through 24 hours, 24 hours from now, something's going to, going to happen. I'm, I'm looking at the clock. It's 1047 my time. I'm like at 11 o'clock, my mom's going to come in and I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to be okay. I got to, I got to survive for 10 minutes because my mom's going to come visit me. And then at, at you know, at, at 1230, it'd be like, okay, at one o'clock, they're coming in to change my bandages or whatever. I just got to, I just got to get through this till, till one o'clock. And I'm that way in sales, you know? I didn't start off saying, I wanna run my own business and, and make a million dollars. I started off by saying, how do I keep this job? <laughs> how do I figure out how to sell? And then, you know, I made three grand in a month the first time and I'm like, wow, I wonder if I can make five. And then I made five and I'm like, I wonder if I can make seven. And I, I moved from AE to sales manager. I'm like, how do you, 
How do I get to the next thing? Oh, senior sales manager. Okay. How do I get to be a director? How do I get to be a VP? How do I get to be a senior VP? These micro goals, I think, have, has, and the way that I think about those things, I think has really, really helped me. You don't, you, it, it helped me not get overwhelmed as much, I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. You're on mute, Brian. That hurts a podcast when you accidentally mute yourself. You know, it, I mean, it's, humani it's it humanizes night. things. It humanizes things. Yeah, so. right. Hey, Scott, I've done, gosh, I've done like 25 episodes. That's the first time I started talking, and that's happened, man. But I love what you said because so many people are focused on getting to the big goal, getting to the oh, well, my goal for the year is $4 million in sales. How do I get to $4 million in sales? Instead of thinking, how many new customers can I add today? How many new customers can we bring on this month? Taking it week to week, month to month, literally day to day. Because, you know, in Texas, where you live, in West Virginia, where I live, literally, man, business changed with a stroke of a pen from the governor. All business in, in the span of 24 hours changed. So everybody's goals that they had went out the window, right? In, in literally, at least for us up here, in 24 hours, man, that $4 million in sales that everybody was projecting theoretically, it kind of did. It just kind of did this. When you think about what you got through in that day-to-day, -day, that, that, that minute-to-minute, what did it sharpen inside of you? Because I would have to think that it totally flipped your mindset how you do everything. 100%. I mean, I was already a super ultra-competitive person, right? Um, but now you like you remove my ability to participate in anything for, for roughly four years and then you release me back into the wild and i can remember looking around and sort of judging people and saying this guy's just happy to be here this this lady i can tell she doesn't care at all and i could just see people taking things for granted yeah right taking things for granted that i fought like hell to have the opportunity to participate in again. Mm -hmm. So my, my appreciation for opportunity, my understanding that the rug could be pulled out from under me at any point in time, the sense of urgency that I have is far greater than most people that I, that I know. Yeah. Right. Because of, because of those things and, and my determination and competitive resolve, you know, went through the roof, whatever inhibitions or, or fears or uh, self-esteem kind of challenges that I had, those dissolve again because I'm like, I got nothing to be afraid of anymore yeah. because I've been through all of this, you know? Um, and then the, the other thing that I would say is like, I, I think it, it showed me just how hard I'm willing to work in order to get something done, in order to, you know, kind of win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm willing to outwork most people. And so, you know, I, I have, I'm a very busy guy. I have my hands in a lot of cookie jars, right? I run my own consulting business. I uh, am almost done writing my second sales book. I run a business called Surfing Sales, 
which is a, a small sales conference in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. I run the Serpent Sales podcast that you talked about. I run a Thursday night sales community that has about 300 attendees all the time. I have a half dozen private coaching clients. I'm a fractional CR, CRO at one, <clears throat> one company. I, I got a lot of things going on. I have friends reach out to me all the time and they're like, dude, you know, you need to slow down. And I have somebody else who I know who's like, how did you clone yourself? Like, there's no way that yeah. you can do all this stuff that you're doing. And I'm like, well, why? Like, you're sitting around watching TV or, you know, drinking beer or whatever. Like, I don't have time for all that. You know what I mean? That's, yeah. that's not what I'm here for anymore. Sales is a, a vehicle to change your life in a very, very meaningful way. I never in a million years when I was going to school or when I was sick, never in a million years would I have imagined that I would have the career that I've had so far today. But I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not here to, to be average. You know, I'm here to do something special. I'm here to, you know, generationally try to change the game for, for my family. I'm here to try to help as many people as possible change their life. Um, it's one of the reasons I tell the story, you know, my story of what I've been through and everything, because it can change your life. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. 27 years old, never had a job before living in San Francisco, dead broke. 16 years or so later, I run two companies and I'm far from dead broke. Yep. Right. And I'm here, I'm, I'm on, I feel like I'm on a mission, you know? And so this, it crystallized and provided total clarity to what I want to do with, with my life. And I've, and I've thrown myself into it, you know, full force. Yeah. Uh, amazing, man. In the last minute or two that we've got together, and I, I so appreciate your time. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement that you would leave with folks out there today? I mean, you have to be your own biggest advocate. That, 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 that's the encouragement that I, that I want to give. Like, You've got to advocate for yourself. You deserve to advocate for yourself. You deserve whatever else is out there that that you want. There's no reason that Brian should be a millionaire and not me. There's no reason that Scott should have this particular job and not Brian. We all have the power to take control of our our lives and stop being reactive, right? We have the power to create the life that we're looking for. We can network and, and, and meet people and, and develop relationships that help give us opportunity. We can listen to shows like this or like my podcast, anything about business and growth and sales. There's never been an easier time in history to learn for free, right? We can put ourselves you know, in challenging situations and take small risks and, and, and push ourselves you know, to grow. None of that stuff is just going to, just going to happen right you have to advocate for yourself you have to be the one to ask for help you have to be the one to go develop this relationship you have to be the one uh you know to go learn this particular particular skill and you know i I learned that being in the hospital if you can believe that because when you're in the hospital and you're there by yourself and you know nurses come a couple times a day maybe I can remember being in agony and not wanting to push the nurse button for help 
because I was worried about, you know, what they were doing and I didn't want to bother them or whatever, things like that. Right. I learned over time, <clears throat> nobody's going to come help me unless I ask for help and tell people I need help. This self advocacy is within my control. And then I applied that to the sales front. My manager is not going to come help me yeah. unless I told them I need help. I'm not going to get a raise unless I start having conversations about what do I have to do to get a raise. Yeah. I'm not going to be a VP of sales at this particular company. They already told me. So I have to intentionally go look for a VP of sales gig somewhere else. Yep. So my, my biggest piece of intentional advice is be your own best advocate. Man, that's so good. What a, what a great way to end this conversation. Scott Lee, tell people where they can find you and your content. Uh, you're on a bunch of social media platforms. Where can people find you? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> LinkedIn is, is probably the place that I'm most easily found and, 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 uh, and known or what have you. Uh, I have my own Patreon community. I'm on Twitter. You can check out my website at scottleesconsulting.com. You can check out my other business, surfandsales.com. Uh, if you're looking for an alternative to big sales conferences, this could be really good for you. Um, and I run the Surf and Sales podcast. So if you're looking for another podcast other than the intentional uh, podcast to listen to, you check out Surf and Sales podcast. And then tonight is uh, week 16, our 16th week in a row, uh, hosting Thursday night sales. Uh, it's just an open sales community happy hour. Um, it's a global attendee. There's 700 plus registrations uh, a couple weeks ago. So it's, it's really turned into a great place to network and learn and, and build community and, and we help each other find jobs and answer questions and that kind of thing. So if you got a, if you got a free, free hour or two on Thursday night, check out thursdaynightsales.com. Yeah, it's a great place to find some, if you're a salesperson out there, some great place to find encouragement of like-minded people and and people that are doing the same thing you're doing scott lease man i'm so glad we carved out time for this conversation thank you so much for joining me on the intentional encourager podcast yeah brian thanks for having me man it's a good time my thanks as always to producer bryce sexton and technical advisor matt Meat, and the ultimate thanks goes to the lord jesus christ provides intentional encouragement every day through his work. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.